The Prince of Princes continued along the narrow way, his face set like flint. His step had been lighter, coming up from the river just off the path a few miles back. There, his kinsmen had plunged him beneath the waters, and all present had heard the voice of the Father above, a heavenly coronation perfectly fit to this earthly mission. But as the spirit compelled him now more forcefully along the road, he felt a growing weight within. He knew what lay ahead, the town of vanity with its lusty fare and all its wickedness, distractions, amusements, and enticements. The prince had no use for such things, and yet he had to enter in. After all, he had come to rescue not only the hapless victims of this place, but its vilest offenders, if they would have him. And, of course, there was no way back to his own country without passing through Vanity Fair, not without going out of the world itself. This was the very reason its founders had chosen the site. The prince prayed as he walked. He recited scriptures to himself and sang psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Presently, he saw the city gates drawing near, and there, waiting for him, were the founders of the fair. Legion, Apollyon, and the great Beelzebub himself all of them grinning and panting for his arrival. And yet, as the Lord drew near and Beelzebub spread his monstrous wings in welcome, his two companions shrunk back and hid behind them, their smug confidence waning at the slow approach of infinite power in the form of this humble man. This is quite a welcoming party, the prince said. Beelzebub chortled. <laughs> Nothing but the best for you, good prince. The best of common food troughs for your cradle. The best of dung-smeared pastormen for your royal court. The best of filthy backwater blights for your hometown. But now it's time you had some luxuries actually fit for a king, if you would but take them. In fact, I intend to walk you through the midst of our great fair personally and see that you have every comfort and dainty you could possibly desire. Lead the way, if you like, but I will buy nothing. This road you've been walking passes through nothing but wilderness for some time. You must be hungry, thirsty. I have food you know nothing about. And we have food you could only dream of. Dates, fine meats, exotic nuts. We have delights of all sorts in this place. And worry not about the cost. There are great bargains to be had here. Price is so low, <laughs> you'd be mad to pass them up. Are we going to stand here talking all day, or are we actually going to enter the city at some point? Beelzebub smiled and refolded his wings behind him, revealing his two companions who shrank back all the more. The Dark Prince then stepped aside and motioned for the heavenly pilgrim to pass through the gate and under a massive arbor draped with fragrant flowers and dripping with honey. When he was no longer in sight, the Prince of Demons drew his sword and pointed it at Apollyon. Did you just soil yourself? I'm sorry, my lord. I've, I've never be gone. He struck Apollyon across the face with the flat of his blade, and the beast turned and scampered into the woods. Turning his attention to Legion, Beelzebub said, And you, I have an assignment for you. There is a lost and desperate man near the graveyard of the Gadarenes. Do you know the place? Yes, a haunt of unclean beasts and unclean spirits alike for many years. Make haste, then, and do what you do best. I will deal with this gentle Jesus, meek and mild. Legion saluted and departed. 
As Beelzebub passed beneath the arch into the city and its raucous fair, the flowers began to wilt and shed their petals. He spotted the Prince of Princes and moved quickly through fairgoers and revelers, shoving and knocking them from his path until he was walking alongside him. I see you're drawn to the finer things, as a prince should be. Look here, such an endless expanse of cakes and casks. Choose one, any of them, all of them. Let your flesh be your guide. The prince barely glanced at the lavish food and drink as he walked by. Man does not live by bread alone he said, but by every word from the mouth of God. Leave your troubles behind. You'll be lucky if you remember your name after this stuff. Aged for a year, gone in a moment. What is it you want then? Strong hmm? drink. What secret desires dwell within? Not women, no. And not men, not slaves, not fleets. You're a man of honor. Yeah. This way, then, your highness. We have honors, a plenty. Beelzebub beckoned with his long, thin fingers and led the good prince to the maypole at the center of the fair, around which a large wooden platform had been erected. We will make you the lord of the fair. A fitting title, no? He gestured at a laurel crown on a finely crafted table next to a beautiful wooden box. These will be yours. Put this crown upon your head and everyone in this city will bow as you walk by. Running his hand along the polished rosewood, he added, This beautiful case contains ease and opulence and the praise of men. You need only promise to stay here with us, and you may have all these things at no cost. The prince looked Beelzebub in his dark, sunken eyes and said, There's always a cost. And you would do well to count the cost before you put the Lord your God to the test. <laughs> How noble. But you are right. It was a test. Beelzebub began to lead the Lord down another row. And you passed, of course. One little fair, one little town is nothing. You deserve much more. Find in Vanity Fair. Fair prices, fairest in the fair, willing to negotiate. They came to a colossal, ornate tent, over which a hundred different flags and standards whipped in the growing wind. Beelzebub drew back the flap from the entrance and motioned for the prince to enter the tabernacle. The interior smelled of exotic spices. In the low light, he saw dozens of tables covered in glinting crowns and scepters. These can all be yours, Beelzebub said. Every nation, all the kingdoms of the earth. The price is obscenely low. Simply take a knee and kiss my ring, and I will hand you these. He stretched out his left hand, in which was clenched a fat ring of golden keys. The Lord's eyes flicked down to the keys and the ring for just a moment before he answered, It is written, You shall love the Lord your God and worship him only. He stepped closer and added, And when the time comes, I will simply take those keys. I will not buy them. And on that day, you will be the one to kneel. He ducked back out of the tent and into the oppressive afternoon sun. Beelzebub followed him out, flustered and blustering. Come back here, you filthy, homeless wretch. I'm not done with you. The Prince of Princes came to a stop, alongside a long, low, wooden cage containing several gaunt children. Like what you see? 
The vendor leaned in, raising an eyebrow. Running a special today. Buy one. Get, uh... He met the prince's gaze and fell silent, then fell back a step, shaking his head stiffly. The prince ripped the door of the cage open. Come, little ones. You're free. The children hesitated a moment, then spilled out and fled along the narrow way, which went out from the city just a stone's throw away. Several nearby merchants began to object. What do you think you're doing? We're trying to run a business here. A holy fire burned in the Lord's eyes. He grabbed the nearest table and threw it on its side as if it weighed nothing, spilling documents and golden amulets. Then he overturned another and another. The traders and traffickers made to intervene, but all stopped short and thought better of it, first backing away, then turning tail to run from the melee. Within a few moments, the prince was all alone amidst piles of money and merchandise, save for one man who cowered behind his booth his shaking hands held up before his face as if to ward off an attack. Matthew, the prince said. The man lowered his hands tentatively. Do, do I know you, sir? Not yet, but you will. And more importantly, I know you. Come, follow me. The young man came out from behind the booth, eyes wet, and asked, Where are we going? Look to the east, Matthew. The prince said, Do you see the shining light? Hi and Silver and Gut Check Media presents The Pilgrim's Progress From this world to that which is to come John Bunyan's timeless Christian allegory As told by Zachary Bartles Chapter 13 Vanity Fair Faithful felt a hand grabbing at his sleeve, pulling him toward a collection of occult books, trinkets, and talismans. Look, sir, whatever ails you, we've got a solution here, don't we? The pilgrim wrenched his arm free, not looking back. Let's step lively, he said. It would be foolish to stay here any longer than absolutely necessary. Agreed, Christian said. Harlots. We have harlots of all kinds. Boxum, thin, old. Hey, you! A fair goer shouted from behind them. Where'd you get that coat? You're a bold one to wear that here, aren't you? Others who crossed their path mocked and laughed. Some spat on them. All the while, vendors flattered and fawned. Ooh, we've got visitors from a far-off land. You must be wealthy to afford such raiment. Have a look here. Bring some vanities home to your little ones. Despite their best intentions to get out quickly, the deeper into the fair they went, the thicker the traffic and the slower their pace. This left them captive to the pitches of every huckster along the way. There came a point at which Christian was so overwhelmed that he put his fingers in his ears to avoid the temptation. Lord, turn my eyes away from beholding vanity, he shouted. Again, the cacophony of the fair went silent and every eye fixed on the pilgrims. If you want none of our wares, a vendor spat, then why are you here? We are simply passing through, Faithful said. That is all. Our trade and traffic is in heaven. The ground beneath them tremored once again, and a display case full of lustful paintings toppled over. The crowd began to shout and harass the pilgrims. So ho, Christian faithful, came a boisterous voice from a grand pavilion one row over. They looked up to see Talkative at the head of a long table holding court over a dozen men and women, all slumped against their drinks. Talkative raised his tankard and said, Making friends in your signature way, I see. 
He then laughed derisively and turned his attention back to his new companions. Faithful grabbed Christian by the arm and made to force his way through the crowd, but a battle-scarred mountain of a man stood blocking their way. You don't just pass through Vanity Fair, he growled. This is a place of commerce. So, what would you men buy? We buy the truth, Faithful said, standing his ground. Another violent tremor overturned several tables and Faithful tried to grab the distraction to slip past this man, but people were now pressing in on every side. You're not going anywhere, the big man said, pointing to a coat of arms affixed to his garment. You may think this a lawless place, but it's not. Come with me. He placed his hand on his sword and gestured with his chin toward a stone building in the distance. Shall we fight him? Christian whispered, looking down at his own sword. He was perplexed at his lack of courage. As impressive as this man was, he was half Apollyon's size and no more than flesh and blood. No, Faithful answered. The crowd would tear us to shreds. Besides, Evangelist did not tell us to defend ourselves here, but rather to be willing to suffer and even die for our faith. We will not return evil for evil. He then said to the guard, Lead the way, sir. The crowd parted, opening the way to the building, which they entered. It was divided between a long, dank cell of iron bars on one side and a rather well-appointed guardhouse on the other. Several men wearing the same badge as their fellow sat around a fine table playing cards over a pot piled high with gold and silver. With no regard for the game and no apology, the pilgrim's escort swiped everything from the table in one motion and ordered them to sit. Hey, I was about to win a fortune, one of the men complained. Then, turning his anger from his hulking superior to the two oddly dressed men, he smashed a fist into Faithful's side, and, when he had doubled over, knocked the pilgrim's head against the table. He then barked orders for cards and coin alike to be relocated to a nearby drinking tent, and within a few moments, the group had gone. The hulking guard who had arrested them sat across from the pilgrims, the chair complaining under his weight, and said, All right, who sent you? Sir? You have created chaos in our fair, and while we do enjoy some chaos in the forms of strategic, indulgent release, we will not tolerate the sort of bedlam that interferes with commerce. You two men are either mad, or you came here as saboteurs with a design to undermine and spoil our fair and our fair city. So I ask again, who sent you? We are pilgrims, sir, Christian said. And while you do not like the answer, we wish only to pass through your town on the way to the Celestial City. <laughs> Give me your bags, the guard demanded. And you, I'll take that sword. Christian glanced at Faithful, who nodded subtly, and the two of them handed over their belongings. Stand up and put your hands out, the man ordered. A moment later, he was affixing a set of irons to Faithful's wrists. He then shoved him roughly into the cell. Christian, his eyes closed in prayer, felt his own wrists secured and then a tug on his helmet. Then another, harder yet. Take it off, the guard growled. I can't. Another jerk at the helmet brought a flare of pain, as if the guard would pull the pilgrim's head clean off. <laughs> Won't do you any good anyway. Not at the end of a noose. The guard laughed and shoved Christian in with Faithful. I'll be back in a while, he said, locking the cell door and exiting the building. What will they do to us? Christian asked. I do not know. Maybe we should have bought something. Something harmless. Some, some tea or truffles. Faithful regarded his friend. Christian, what fellowship has light with darkness? They sat in silence for ten or fifteen minutes until the guard came back in, leading a train of angry men. 
All right, my little provocateurs, he said. These men all have valid grievances against you. I myself am witness to that. But to make everything nice and official, let's get something on record. He gestured at a wormy little man who sat at the nearby table, opened a writing case, and prepared his pen. One by one, the merchants and rabble of the fair cataloged the damages they'd sustained as a result of the pilgrim's presence while the clerk wrote it all down. When they'd all said their piece, the guard turned to the pilgrims and asked, Do you deny these charges? Christian stood. This is a farce, he said. By their own admission, any losses incurred by these fellows were the result of theft by opportunistic fairgoers, or else were no real loss at all, just simple offense at our presence in their midst, for which I do not apologize and, frankly, do not believe we can be held responsible. You're wrong there, the guard said. We have laws against defaming the fair or giving rise to any sense of shame by your word or conduct. In fact, these are among the only laws of our city and you have undoubtedly broken them. For that, you will be punished. He then unlocked the cell and dragged Faithful and Christian out into the midst of the fair, where a mob was waiting. There, starting with the men who had lodged complaints, each one of them smeared the pilgrims with muck and filth, shouted insults and blasphemies at them, and otherwise made sport of them, pelting them with rocks and rotten produce, knocking them to the ground again and again, only to command them to rise and endure more. This went on for the space of an hour, the pilgrims suffering through it with a quiet dignity, until a few people in the crowd began to object. And that's enough, one of them called out. You've made your point. If these men have broken a law, let's try them properly. A few shouts of agreement arose from here and there. Show of hands, the guard bellowed. Who thinks these men have endured enough abuse? A dozen hands went up. Well, I believe we've identified their confederates, he declared, and ordered these sympathetic souls to be placed in the stocks for two days' time. As for these men, if it's a trial you want, that can be arranged. For now, to the dungeon! A cheer came up from the main part of the crowd, and with great fanfare, Christian and Faithful were paraded along a circuitous path up and down every row until they arrived at the heart of the fairground, where an elaborate columned courthouse awaited them. The pilgrims were practically carried through the front doors and then led down a flight of stone steps and along a dark and musty hall past several rusty doors on either side. Your room, sirs, the guard said mockingly, then ordered, you, open it. A familiar man slid a key into the lock and with a deep, ominous creak, the door swung open. I tried to warn you, Ananity said under his breath. Why didn't you listen to me? We knew the cost. Faithful replied, trying to look him in the eyes, but Inanity only studied the dirty floor. In, the guard ordered, fairly tossing the men into the stark chamber. We'll come for you when we come for you. For now, enjoy your stay here at Vanity Fair. The door slammed shut. Christian examined their accommodations, such as they were. Only a sliver of daylight spilled in through a narrow, barred window up near the low ceiling. There was no furniture of any kind, only a bucket next to the door. Faithful sat against the wall and patted the floor next to him. What a blessing, he said. I'm sorry, a blessing? Are you joking? By no means. They could have put us in separate cells, but here we are together. Now we can encourage each other, pray together for wisdom and endurance, praise the Lord together. Christian sat down next to him. Encourage each other, you say. All right, you go first, I guess.
It was several hours later, while the two were deep in prayer, when a slat at the base of the door slid open, and two bowls full of some sort of slop were pushed into the room. Thank you, Faithful called out. You're, um, yes, came a voice from out in the hall. Inanity? Is that you? The man's face appeared in the opening for a moment, upside down, and the pointy hat fell off his head. Yeah, it's, it's me, he said. You should eat up. You'll need your strength. Then the slat slid closed. The pilgrims gave thanks and began to sup. Thankfully, the light was failing now, and they could not see what they were consuming, for Christian was quite sure he'd be unable to choke it down otherwise. When they'd finished their meal, they spoke about evangelists' words and prayed all the more for courage, strength, and perseverance. At about midnight, they began to sing songs of praise to the king of the heavenly land. A hymn of glory let us sing. New songs throughout the world shall ring. Alleluia, alleluia. Christ by a road before untrod ascendeth to the throne of God. Alleluia, alleluia. Alleluia, alleluia, alleluia. Faithful laughed. I can't carry a tune to save my life. You sing. I'll listen. No, Christian said. You sing too. I insist. To To whom the angels drawing nigh, why stand and gaze upon the sky? Alleluia, alleluia. This is the Savior, thus they say. This is his noble triumph day. Alleluia, 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 The floor beneath them began to shake, and a soft, warm light filled the room. Keep, keep singing, Faithful said. Again shall ye behold him so, as ye today have seen him go. Pomp ascending high up to the portals of the sky. Alleluia, alleluia. The door of the cell swung open, and two armed men charged in, wordlessly pulled Faithful to his feet, and shoved him out into the hall. Was our singing really that bad? <laughs> A moment later, Christian was all alone in the still darkness. He lay there on the cold ground until he drifted off into a restless sleep. The morning came with the sounds of revelry wafting in amidst birdsong and dappled sunlight, but Christian felt no sense of renewed mercies. He neither prayed nor sang, only sat there, dejected, until the slat opened again and another bowl of slop appeared. I need the bucket, came Ananity's voice. Christian pushed the waste pail through the opening, thinking there was little difference between what it contained and the breakfast he was about to endure. Hey, your friend is safe, just across the hall, Ananity whispered. Is that supposed to comfort me? Well, he thought you'd want to know. Go away, you silly halfwit, Christian spat. The slat remained open for a moment, then an empty bucket bounced back into the cell, and the little door closed. Christian forced himself to give thanks, although he felt no appreciation, and was only able to choke down about half of the bowl's contents. He thought of the lavish feast he'd enjoyed by the roaring fire in the palace beautiful, and wished he had stayed there. 
For three days, this continued. Twice a day, the slat would open, and Inanity would empty Christian's bucket and provide him more of that gruel to eat. Inanity said nothing else to him, until the morning of the third day, when he reached his hand in through the opening and offered half a loaf of bread. It's from my own house, he said. Christian thanked him and wolfed it down, but still felt no real gratitude, to Inanity or to the King of Heaven. He was now caught in a cycle of bitterness and regret, wondering what Mr. Legality was eating this morning, or whether Mr. Worldly Wiseman had ever had to suffer like this, thinking of simple sloth and presumption lying out under the warm sun. How unfair that this was his reward. Loneliness gripped him, and Christian began to wonder aloud what had been the point of briefly being reunited with Faithful only to be torn away from him again after such a short time. It seemed like a cruel, cosmic joke. The nights were the worst. Christian longed for company, only to feel an evil presence with him in the cell. He heard whispers, taunts, temptations, more of those blasphemous thoughts, like the ones he'd heard deep in his being in the valley of the shadow of death. Only he lacked the strength or the will to rebuke them. When he slept, he had horrifying nightmares. Apollyon's glistening fangs, the chalk-white goblins from the mouth of hell, grabbing at him, pulling him down into the pit. Then, on the fourth morning, the door swung open, and the familiar voice of the chief guard ordered him to come out into the hall. There, he saw Faithful, his countenance no darker than it had been the night they'd dragged him away. Beside him stood Inanity, his eyes downcast. The guard grinned wickedly at Christian and said, It's time for your trial. Thanks for listening. To support this program and for additional content and perks, visit patreon.com slash pilgrimsprogress and or take two minutes to leave an honest review wherever you get your podcasts. The Pilgrim's Progress, From This World to That Which Is to Come, adapted by Zachary Bartles from John Bunyan's classic manuscript. This text, copyright 2022, Zachary Bartles. This recording, copyright 2022, high and silver, all rights reserved. Produced by Brad Atchison and Zachary Bartles. Additional voice talent this week by Josh Loftus. Other sound effects and music license from Pond5 and Audio Micro. Special thanks to the Reformatory Podcast. For more engaging audio fiction, visit www.zacharybartles.com audio. Hi, and Silver. Good. <laughs>